Hey there, Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders. Welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've been mostly focusing the last few months on character studies, which I enjoy a lot, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback about that. But I'm considering jumping into a different kind of episode. I put out a poll on Twitter asking what kinds of episodes were your favorites, and a large number of you said that you were more into events and things on the timeline and that kind of discussion. And that's a little bit more where the show started talking about the events happening before the great war and all of the occurrences and those kinds of things. And although character studies are awesome, I think maybe it's time that we jump into more of a timeline discussion and we talk about the events in the fallout world and what happened in specific date ranges so that we have kind of a more unified understanding of the way things unfolded in the wasteland. Now, this is how I think I'm going to tackle this because this is a very different kind of episode than I've ever done. I'm going to take in this episode information from the timeline and information that's been gathered across the wikis and and those kinds of things. And I'm going to go through in order of the events that occur immediately after the bombs fall on October 23rd, 2077. And the, the next year, I don't know that I'll be able to get through an entire year on this episode, but we'll see how far we can get. The idea here is, well, two things. One, I want to gain and help create an understanding of the immediate ramifications of the bombs dropping and who the main characters were across all of the different games and what immediately happened to the world. Once across the world, they realized that we were at war and nukes were going off everywhere. The second thing is I want to take a look at across the the minor characters or the smaller details what was actually happening with the people across the well soon to be wasteland how did this affect them how did this next year change them what did they do to survive and those are two very different questions so Let's just go through the timeline. I'm going to stick with the events as they happen in order, and we'll see where this goes. So here we go. Let's start with the date of October 23rd, 2077. Now, we know that this is when the bombs dropped on this day, but there are a number of different events that happen throughout the Fallout games tied specifically to this day. One of the themes that occurs in many Fallout games is this ironic idea that certain events, whether good or bad, were occurring on or right around when the bombs dropped. And had they not dropped, the world may have been a very different place. So let's just go through and highlight the different events because some of them don't have specific hours Uh, tied to them that we know of, but we do know that these events were planned to happen or were happening on October 23rd. So first of all, in the morning of October 23rd, we have 82 students from the early Don Elementary School head out 
on a field field trip they they're going to lamplight caverns and if you guys remember a little lamplight from fallout 3 it's a community that was run only by children and on this day at the beginning of the day in the morning with very few parents or chaperones 82 children head out for a field trip and this will forever change the events of the lives of these children and the children that come after them for 200 years next we have the lob enterprises which is raided by federal agents so this was a company that was assumed to have been in uh, cahoots that's a good word cahoots with the uh, chinese government and of course things were coming to a head on october 23rd and it's interesting that they were raided by federal agents right at the same time the war started it's it's as if those two events were not coordinated very well together which is kind of an interesting point also on October 23rd, Dr. Hine, who was a Nuka-Cola corporate geneticist, which is interesting, the idea that Nuka-Cola had geneticists on staff, is taken hostage by the AFAD in the angry anaconda in Nuka World. Now, of course, this is part of the Nuka World expansion. So who are the AFAD? Well, that stands for Animal Friends and Defenders. I believe that this is the Fallout equivalent of PETA. And they were not happy with Nuka World's testing on animals and the kinds of things they were doing with the animals at the park. So we have another event here exactly on the date of October 23rd where emotions are heightened. People are more actively working towards something and, and i'm not gonna this isn't like a conspiracy theory kind of thing where it's like oh everybody was on edge already but it's interesting these events all happen on the same day then of course the next thing in the timeline that we have is that the fallout 4 prologue begins you wake up in the morning these are all things that happened earlier in the day and we know how that goes if you played fallout 4 you get up, you're with your family, you're taking care of the baby, the Vault-Tec salesman comes to your door, signs you up, and then in a very short amount of time, the bombs drop. And that's when the war begins. Now, just a reminder, the war itself only lasts for two hours. That must be the shortest war, I guess you could ever say. I mean, most battles don't last only two hours. But this is it. This is the event that changes everything. So what happens in and around this two hour time period? Well, some things happen that have very little effect on the nature of the world. They're just things that we know are noted specifically for that date. For example, the Halloween costume show was supposed to be held at Freddy Fierce House of Scares costume store. And we know this because of signs around the wasteland in both Fallout 3 and New Vegas. This was a national chain of stores. It also shows up in Fallout 76. So we have the week basically before Halloween. So, of course, Halloween events were scheduled. We also have the Skylanes Air Flights, Air Flight 1665 and 1981, take off from Washington, D.C. to Chicago and Boston, respectively. They would both crash en route due to the effects of nuclear detonation. So we definitely have airplanes 
out in the world that are being affected by the bombs going off. We have Pastor Salivar and her congregation arrive at Vault 95 around noon as radiation begins to intensify. So now we have the fallout beginning from the bombs being dropped. Now, right at 1.30 in the afternoon for Vault 94, the failsafe trips and locks out the second bus of residence. So nobody else is allowed back in that vault. Now, this vault shows up in Vault 76. It is the basically what was the raid vault with all of the plant activity in it. We also have people reporting the events of the war as they happened. So, for example, in Salt Lake City, we have Randall Clark witnessing 13 nuclear warheads hitting the city, destroying the city and his family. And Aperture Flash actually talked about this on the last episode. It's a very, very tragic story, but this is this ties in directly to this timeline. Then we have the Sierra Madre Gala event beginning, but it's cut short by the war. The casino hermetically seals itself and the holographic security kills many of the guests. A few scattered survivors eventually commit suicide in the following hours and days. Vera Keys dies from an overdose of her pain medication, while Frederick Sinclair dies in his attempt to, to disarm the traps. The only known survivor was Dean Domino. So more events from New Vegas. We also have Vault 12, which fails to close properly on this date, which, of course, leads to the ghoulification of that vault specifically. If you guys remember the Vault 12 episode, the West Tech research facility is hit by warheads, breaking open the FEV tanks on levels four and five and releasing the FEV into the atmosphere. This, again, is another major event in the fallout timeline that also happened on October 23rd. We have the Mariposa military base, which on this date survives. It doesn't get destroyed. The soldiers inside are protected from the radiation flooding the wasteland. So this ties into the events of the Brotherhood and Maxon specifically. The platinum chip, which was at Sunnyvale, becomes buried under the rubble from the aftermath of the Great War, where it would stay buried for over 200 years. And this ties directly into what was going on in Fallout New Vegas with Mr. House. He's in fact spends the next 200 years and millions of caps or dollars or whatever the currency was as things evolved in the wasteland trying to relocate this platinum chip. We could do an entire episode specifically on the platinum chip. Mr. House also saves Las Vegas and most of the surrounding area from complete destruction with his defenses at the Lucky 38. He stops 68 of the 77 ballistic missiles launched at New Vegas. Now, he would have potentially stopped all 77 ballistic missiles, but he didn't have access to the platinum chip. So nine of them got through. But they only damaged minor parts of the Mojave Desert. And the most damaging detonation was at the Nellis Air Force Base. So the Lucky 38's operating system crashed under the strain of the nuclear attack because it didn't have the platinum chip. So we also have some details here from Van Buren, which I've talked about before. This isn't 100% canon, but a lot of these ideas are worked into New Vegas and actually some of the other games as well. 
So let's let's see what Van Buren would have said about the events of that day. So first of all, it notes that the surviving scientists and soldiers based in Los Alamos band together with other survivors they encounter for safety. They set up a temporary camp in the cliff dwellings of Mesa Verde and attempt to contact the federal government government for further instructions, but no contact is ever made. A small vault is built into the cliffside to shield the only computer they have from the elements. All Enclave personnel leave Bloomfield to either take cover or maintain hot spots. Sub-reactor is turned on. Bloomfield, bomb 001 and 002, and Hermes uh, 8, XII, and 14 are completely forgotten. And we talk about that a little bit in the episode specifically about Van Buren. Two Poseidon scientists are trapped in the Agricola lab. After four years, one dies of natural illness. After one more year, the other commits suicide. And due to seismic activity, due to the, the bombs, some radiation seeps into the sublevels of the reservation. Even though the people underground are safe from the blast, radiation eventually takes its toll. The reservation was the bomb testing facility in Los Alamos. It was also on this day that Mothership Zeta abducts Sally and her sister. And we talked about that as well on the last episode specifically directly on October 23rd. Now, we do have some events that are given specific times. So the very first event we have in the timeline specifically occurred at 12.03 a.m., just three minutes into that day. The commander of the United States Pacific Fleet reports three unidentified submerged objects off the coast of California to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So these may, as we've discussed, be nuclear submarines from the Chinese coming to the United States, but we don't know for sure. At 3.37 a.m., the United States Air Force detects a squadron of planes off the coast of the Bering Strait. Again, maybe they were delivering nukes as well. But most of the nukes were intercontinental ballistic missiles, so who knows? At 9.13 a.m., the Integrated Operational Nuclear Detection System reports four nuclear launches and DEFCON is raised to two. So 9.13 was the earliest actual detection of nuclear missiles. 9.17, NORAD confirms the launch of the ICBMs, and DEFCON is raised to 1. 9.26, the Defense Intelligence Agency at the switchboard confirmed the nuclear response scenario MX-CN91. At 9.42 a.m., the switchboard confirms the nuclear strike in Pennsylvania and New York. At 9.47 a.m., all monitoring stations at the switchboard go Offline. That's only five minutes later, and the United States is bombarded with nuclear warheads. At 9.47 and 51 seconds, the National Isolation Radio Array experiences power fluctuations due to EMP from nuclear detonations and auto-caps its signal strength. The event is then noted in the error log. And that's it. Those are the events that we know specific times for on the 23rd. And then anything that happens after that, we don't know specific times for. Those are all the events of October 23rd. So let's bring this full circle. 
we have specifically a timeline that shows us minute for minute what happens from the very early morning to the bombs actually going off in the nine o'clock hour. We have the reactions of different people across the wasteland to those bombs going off. Some people specifically witnessing that themselves. And then we have other interesting events and things that were scheduled and were happening on that day that were people were stuck in the middle of when the bombs went off. And then we have some of these mundane things about the world and what was going on in the world. There's actually a lot of detail here. Now, the next thing that we're going to get into after the break are the events immediately preceding that day from the 24th on. And we're going to see what happens with the world and how people start to react to the aftermath of these bombs. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, welcome back. This is your host, Tom or Robots. I hope you guys are enjoying this different kind of episode we're doing today. So I hope you enjoyed the extended episode we did last week. So let's move into some of the reviews that came in in May. So first we have Jeff Finana from the United States who writes, absolutely amazing, five stars. This is one of the best podcasts I can find. And like I said, it is simply amazing. Well, thank you, Jeff. That is high praise. Thank you so much. Then we have Yasmin Stehauer from the Netherlands. Hello to our Netherlandish, Netherlandian, Netherlandian, is that a thing? Friend, uh, who writes, love it, five stars, five star rating for you, smiley face. Your voice is so nice to listen to as well. Well, thank you very much, Yasmin. Then we have Otter Bites from the United States who writes, thumbs up, five stars, absolutely wonderful podcast for all fans of Fallout. I particularly love the Vault Minisodes and hope to find you in the wasteland one day. Thank you for all you do. If you, uh, uh, want to find me in the wasteland i play on pc by the name get this robots and lately i've been running around in fallout 76 with a robot helmet on so if you happen to see a guy with a robot helmet one of the red ones from the red rocket uh stuff you can buy on the store who happens to go by the name robots that's me that's this guy um, take, you know, it'd be really funny is if you guys took pictures of me out in the wild running around without me knowing, and then posted them on social media as if I was some sort of like rare occurrence that you found without ever like saying hi to me, just like stalk me and stuff. That'd be, well, that'd be kind of creepy, but funny. So I'm down for it. All right. And then when the last one we have for, actually we have two more for May. This one comes from Terzoid in Australia. Hello to our Aussie friends, concise, consistent, and courageous. Five stars. I started on the Elder Scrolls lore podcast not long ago, and after binging so many episodes, I found myself over on the Fallout podcast. Being a fellow Bethesda fan, I'm only natural to want more. It's only natural to want more and more. And Robots podcast dives deep into the lore needed to feel more immersed in these great universes. It's a big task to take on, but thank you for starting this podcast for us fans. You're doing it perfect. Well, thank you, Terzoid. That is Again, high praise. Very, very nice. Thank you so much. Then we have our last one. If you love Fallout, you'll listen to this podcast from Markaka Marcus in Great Britain. Hello across the pond. I really enjoy listening to all the lore in such a massive in-game universe, and it's great to hear it coming from someone who is also so enthusiastic themselves. Thank you, Markaka. I don't know if I 
Oh, it's Mark, a.k.a. Marcus. <laughs> Your name isn't Markaka. That would that would be weird, wouldn't it? Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that as well. Thank you to everyone who takes the time to leave a rating or review on whatever podcaster you're listening on. Specifically, Apple Podcasts is a huge help because people use that to find shows even if they don't listen to them on Apple Podcasts. And they're also the easiest one for me to find the reviews for. Um, but any reviews and ratings you can leave help out the show. Um, and also, you know what? Tell your friends. Just tell your friends about the show. That is also absolutely a huge, huge benefit. Share links on social media, those kinds of things. Word of mouth is the absolute best thing you can do to help me out and to keep this show growing. And that's all I've got for the middle of this episode. Thank you so much for your support. And let's get back to talking about the events following October 23rd, 2077. So I did have aspirations here to get through an entire year, but I decided to recap a little bit more of what was going on in the first part with the day of the 23rd, which does include some information about the moms dropping. So we're just going to move from there. We're going to see how far we can get in this episode and what makes sense to stop with, because I've got a lot of information here. So the day following the bombs dropping, October 24th, the Boylston Club adds its memor- uh, memoriam, that's a word I can say, gala, to its October events calendar. So immediately happening, the dropping of the bombs, we have a memoriam being scheduled. The White Springs Resort is sealed against radiation at the orders of the new general manager. So the resort is closed and sealed. And then it's said that the guests and the staff acclimate to this new situation on the 25th. Now, I mean, I'm sure there's acclimation over the course of the next day or two, but that's the date that's given. At Mariposa, Platner, bound in power armor, is sent out to get specific readings on the atmosphere on the 25th. He reports no significant radiation in the surrounding area of the facility. So by the 25th, Two days afterwards, at the Mariposa military base, Maxon, one of his soldiers, are now checking out, trying to see what's going on out in the world. And we know from this point in the timeline that communication is is broken, that they are no longer getting anything from anyone up the chain at all in the military. By October 27th, after burying the scientists in the waste outside of Mariposa, the soldiers seal the military base, then head out into the desert, taking supplies and weapon schematics with them. Maxon leads his men and families to the government bunker at Lost Hills. So four days, the 27th, which is four days after this, they head out to a new bunker, a more secure location. So remember... Randall Clark, we talked about him just a little while ago. Five days after the bombs go off on the 28th, he takes refuge in a former USGS research station inside a cave in Zion Canyon. On the 29th, then Lieutenant Elizabeth Taggarty, who we talked about in in one of our episodes, is contacted by Roger Maxson. This is five days after the bombs go off. Maxson and his group are now in the new government bunker. It looks like they've gained radio access to 
reaching out at least to see if they can find anyone and they find elizabeth taggarty and we know that this is the beginning of the origin of the concept of the brotherhood in taggarty's mind which eventually takes hold and creates a kind of a, a subgroup over in appalachia with these ideas and and you can see here that it only took a little while after the bombs dropped for Maxon to really start taking on this idea of, hey, you know what? The the U.S. isn't coming back from this. We're not getting any communication out there. Things are going to have to be different. And then things in the Boylston Club take a, a very dark turn because remember the Memoriam Gala that was scheduled? Well, it happens on October 30th. And those that attend agree to commit mass suicide rather than live in a post-nuclear America. So it is clear by the 30th, not even a week after the bombs drop, that people are being deeply, deeply affected by what happened. Also on the 30th, Levon made a telephone call to her friend, warning him of the nuclear devastation. He followed her coded advice and sent his teamsters home to their families. So this event is very mysterious. This comes from Fallout 4, and I'm going to read what it has here in the wiki specifically about this. On October 30th, 2077, Levon called the foreman. Levon was a woman that was somehow connected to very high military intelligence and was also a friend of an officer, a veteran officer who became the foreman of this organization, the Ballistic Defense Division. So in 2077, she calls the foreman and it was strange for a few reasons. The first was that the last time they spoke, it was at a military briefing in Portland. So we know that they hadn't spoken in a while. And the second was the call subject was about her nephew's baseball team. It was a sort of code as Levon was trying to warn him of the impending nuclear devastation. In her words, they were, quote, sending the team home to be with their families. The foreman followed Levon's advice and managed to not die in the bombardment himself, which is odd because the timeline is broken here because the bombardment already happened six days before. So was she warning him about the impending aftermath, the nuclear winter that was coming, the radiation. This one is odd, and I'm not sure exactly what to make of this. Maybe you guys know more about this one, but there is some communication. What's interesting about this is there is some communication from people high up in the military warning other people they may have been close to in code about the unstable quality of the world and what they knew was coming, which is kind of interesting. So on the 31st, let's just wrap up the month in this episode because I don't know that I'm going to have much time to go further than that, but we'll continue on the next episode and see how much further we can get. On the 31st, the military begins sending out vertebrates to towns across the United States with medical supplies in an attempt to treat the injured and dying and guard towns with two-man teams that piloted the vertebrates. Imagine that. The U.S. military only has enough vertebrates and men, manpower, to send two-man teams to individual towns across the country. Two-man teams. 
it seems like if we were to have something like this happen today and we had a military response, I mean, just think about, think about the, the protests and the looting and the military quote, military or police response to those. We have a lot more personnel that could go to any specific town, city, whatever. The military is fairly large. By this point, a week after the bombs drop, they're either only able to connect to enough people to send two-man teams, or there's only that many people left available, either due to being bombed, due to being sent to war, and then losing connection with them. Who knows? And the last detail we have here about the end of the first week after the bombs drop a black rain caused by irradiated materials and carbon from widespread fires being spewed into the upper atmosphere begins to come down in areas across the United States and likely the globe, causing a spike in radiation levels in affected areas. And this is the beginning of a very dark winter. It's not officially winter this is just the end of october this is the middle of the fall but that first week and it takes a week for the fallout i guess you could say from the explosions from the the explosions themselves kicking things up into the atmosphere irradiating them enough bombs going off across the u.s and probably major other locations across the world creates a black rain and people have to deal with this. This creates one of the toughest years in the memory of any of these individuals. So that's where we're going to stop this week. We'll get into November next week. And I had aspirations for getting through a year, but there's there's a lot of really crunchy details to dig into with this stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I also hope that you, this wasn't too much. I, I have a feeling we're at the point now where there's enough of an understanding of the different key players and events throughout the majority of the games that we can kind of talk more broadly about different desperate individuals and disparate is the word disparate individuals and locations and things like that and kind of tie them all together into this overarching tapestry that's the that's a good word for it all right well you guys have a wonderful rest of your week stay safe out there and until next time um uh don't blow up the world there you go i'll talk to you guys later see ya to plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Also, look up the Robots Radio YouTube for videos about Fallout and other things. And check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash robotsradio. This podcast was brought to you in part by our patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast, including our tier five patrons. Thank you so much to Firewriter for supporting the show. Also, if you're interested in business inquiries, advertising on the show, or applying to be a podcast on the Robots Radio Network, send me a message at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or robotsnetwork at gmail.com.